You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and stellar film and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, a reminder, we are not real therapists, but we are real movie and TV critics. And before we get to today's show, we have an exciting announcement. Movie Therapy is now officially part of the Airwave Network. It's a new network launched by Ben Mathis of Kick-Ass News, and it includes lots of other great shows like Food with Mark Bittman, The Projection Booth, and so many other great shows about things we love. If you want to learn more about the Airwave Network, you can visit airwavemedia.com. And with that announcement out of the way, Kristen, let's get to this week's letters. Yes, let's do it. Our first letter had both of us so, so, so happy, Rafer. We were smiling from ear to ear when we saw this letter. It is from Nora, who says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, this will likely be the dumbest letter asking for advice you will ever receive, but I am in need of legitimate help, and you two always make me laugh. My husband came home with a mullet. That is in all caps, mullet. He has been talking about getting this haircut for a few months now, but I am so annoyed that he actually went through with it. Yes, it's his hair. Yes, it's his decision. And I know it's only hair. It will grow out or he'll cut it. But I was in such a bad mood when I saw it. The mood has lingered to the point where I have had bad dreams about all our vacation pictures featuring his mullet. I realize this is stupid. I am usually pretty easygoing. I can't understand why I feel so agitated about this really trivial thing. Can you recommend any movies or TV shows that will help me accept how silly I'm being and be better about accepting my husband's choice? God, that's a great letter. Oh, it's so good. It's oh, so, boy. so good. I love it so much. Reefer, have you ever had a mullet? Uh, no, but in the... <laughs> Oh, God. I hate to admit this, but in the 80s, I had a tail. That is kind of a mullet. It's it's the... That's like a modified mullet. Yeah. There's some, it's a spiritual kinship yes. there. 
between that and the mullet. Yeah, they're from the same yeah. village, but maybe opposite sides of town. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. They're from the same. They're from the same village. A mullet in uh, in twenty twenty one. It's a fascinating choice. Um, Is it though? <laughs> I, I feel I feel like it comes in and out of fashion. And do you remember in the early two thousands, Ray, for the hipster mullet? It was everywhere. No, Ugh. I don't remember that at all. I just freaking hated it. It was terrible. All my friends went to the same hairdresser in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and they would all come back with this kind of hipster mullet. Male uh, friends and female friends. They all looked like they had that kind of haircut from the Strokes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Like Tegan and Sarah had the haircut. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody had that. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about? It, well, yeah. Now that, that seems, a, I know what you're saying. That seems a little different, especially for some reason when it's on a, on a woman. I don't know why that is. Ugh, I hate that haircut. I hate it on a that, man. I hate it on a woman. And all my friends, regardless of their gender, had that haircut for a while. They're like, Kristen, you got to go over to, you know, so-and-so and get the same haircut. I'm like, why would I get a mullet? Why would I do this? And you are all going to be ashamed of yourselves in three years when you look at the pictures from this time in your life that you fell for this nonsense. This is not a good haircut. You all look terrible. So what you're saying is he's not, what you're saying is he's not only sort of 40 years out of date. He's also recently again out of date by getting a mullet. <laughs> he's also 19 years out of date. But maybe he's not. I just feel like every 20 years or so, some version of the mullet comes back and it makes me so mad every time. So Nora... I feel your pain on this. I don't like that mullet. I don't like it at all. And I'm going to say something very controversial here, Rafer. Oh, say it. I feel that the haircut, the Rachel that was made so famous on Friends, yeah. to me, that's a version of a mullet also. Ooh, ouch. It is. Look at that hair. Well. Just think about it for a second. Think about it. But it's sort of a, it's, that's sort of a, what do they call that? Women have all these uh, terms that I don't understand. A woman mullet? It's, no, it's like a, it's, what is it? Not feathered. Layered? Layered so much that it's actually a mullet. Maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe that's right. I mean, I do remember when (laughs) bell bottoms came back in, in the 90s. And I remember thinking like, well, I'll be goddamn. Look at that. Bell bottoms are back in. Sort of rayon-y bell bottoms. I'll be darned. Were you wearing them? No, but we weren't, but it was women. It was not, it was women, not guys, right? Guys, I don't think guys, I don't think bell bottoms for guys have come back since 1975. I don't think that's been a thing. Has it? Mm, there have been modified bootlegs on the guys. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. if you're a, maybe if you're a rock star, you can do that. Anyway, listen, I I feel this writer's pain too. M- my wife wants to um, do some crazy things with her hair. What do you mean by crazy? Like she wants to dye it pink. <gasps> Ooh, or have something kind of two tone. Love it. And I'm just not sure that's her. Now, on the other hand. One thing I've always wanted to do is grow a sort of a sort of a lowrider mustache, really? like my uncle Jerry. He's got a total lowrider mustache, and I love it. I've always loved his mustache. Yeah, my uncle Jerry walks. He actually walks around with a brush and brushes his mustache. <laughs> and I've always loved his mustache. It's like a real true Mexican mustache, and I've always wanted that. Um, and so Ann and I have been on a little bit of a sort of standoff slash. Um, it's a, it, there's a there's a there's a, a little bit of mutual assured destruction going on here. I think. But I'm going to say in your case, Rafer, at least it's like a cultural heritage thing you can point to. You can say, "This is <laughs> this is my heritage. These are my people. I'm going to embrace this part of myself." 
So I, I would give you a pass on that. Oh wow! You'd give me a, you'd give me a cultural you'd give me a, a misangre pass. Is what you do? Okay, that's interesting. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say when my own husband tried that mustache, yeah. he did try it for twenty four hours. Once I was not happy. There was no yeah, kissing. Yeah, I know. no kissing. Well, see, that's that's kind of the kissing disappeared from my house. But um, as far as the pink hair on Anne. I figure, why not? Like, did she do it back in the 90s? No, no, she's never had anything. No, she's never had anything like this. It would be brand new for her, brand new. Um, And I'm fine with it. Oh, maybe that makes it even more fun. Like me, I I had pink hair through the entire 90s. I loved it. And now I feel like I can't do it again because then it looks like I'm desperate and trying to relive my youth. It feels like a step backward. (laughs) Yes. Whereas with Anne, go for it, Anne. Get that pink hair. Do that thing you didn't do back then and do it now in a whole new way. Well, look at how long we've talked about this. So I, I, we, we, we dis, we've discussed <laughs> we this, this far more than I think any other letter we've we've discussed. <laughs> uh, and so I think that just goes to show you how important that is. And um, and I think here is here is my question the, that I think this this woman is going to have to ask her husband. What does it mean to him? Mm. What what does it mean to him to have that mullet? Like like for me, the walrus mustache comes from my uncle Jerry, right? I always loved that mustache on him. So that it it comes from my childhood. It comes from my dad also has a mustache. So there's something about it. My dad has a smaller, sort of more normal mustache, but <laughs> there's something about the mustache that I kind of feel like it reminds me of something. It reminds me of the men in my life during childhood. So my question is. What does this mullet remind her husband of, and what does it mean to him, and why? Where did he first see it, and what makes him want it? That's what I'm just curious about. Mm. Yeah. Is it a rock star look that he's aiming for? Right. Is it a Tiger King look he's looking for? Right. I mean, is he is he is he my age, and so he remembers the mullet as being kind of the height of fashion at some point? Is it? Does he want a Bowie mullet? Does he want something else? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just I, I'm just curious. I'm curious where he saw it why it made an impression on him and what it means to him. And that's one thing I think that this woman, Nora, might want to might wanna ask. So, Kristen, I think you and I have actually chosen dueling mullet movies <laughs> so for our recommendations. And I'm, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little jealous of yours because, God, I came so close. I came so close. Oh, you were going to prescribe the movie I prescribed? Oh, oh, you can't. Well, it's, it's the movie that you are prescribing, Kristen, is one of my favorite films of all time. I know. And I never would have seen this movie if not for the dare. There was one episode of Movie Date back in the day when we hosted that show. And you That's and right. I dared each other to see a movie that we thought the other would hate but would actually in the end love. And you dared me to watch Roadhouse from 1989. Right. I remember that. And you were right. I went into it thinking, I'm going to hate this movie. And at the end, I thought, this is one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give us the lowdown on Roadhouse. All right. So Roadhouse, it stars Patrick Swayze as a bouncer at a roadside bar. His job is to protect his small town in Missouri from a corrupt businessman. And along the way, he must fight, take off his shirt many times. Many times. And of course, have sex. Here's a clip. People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. And we've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many uh, 40-year-old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. And that sure sounds good. But a lot of the guys who come in here, we can't handle one-on-one. Even two-on-one. Don't worry about it. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. 
Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. Come on, honey. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Okay. The term, Kristen, for uh, the Patrick Swayze character is cooler. Oh, a cooler. He's a cooler. He's the guy that comes in and cleans up the town. He's a cooler. He's more than just a bouncer. <laughs> he is more than just a bouncer. Yeah, but can he really cool things off with that shirt off all the time? I don't know. <laughs> Gee, that's tough. That's tough. No, Nora, the reason I am recommending this movie is because as ridiculous as this movie is, it is so ridiculous, by the way. It is campy. It is over the top. It, It's everything you think is going to be wrong with a movie. And for some reason, you're going to love it anyway, including the haircut. And yes. that's what happened to me. I thought everything is wrong with this movie. God, the the sex scene with the gratuitous, like a lady's just standing naked and here's a close up of her butt. Oh, boy. Yeah. So good. Everything's wrong with this, but it's so good. Something about the way this is put together works so well, including his haircut. And I would I would dare to say this movie would not work without that haircut. If he had any other haircut, I don't think this movie would be the same. No, and, it, it's so it's it is it is one of the eightiesest movies ever made. Yes, it absolutely is. And I think you'll be cheering, you'll be laughing, and at the end you may even be appreciating the mullet for what it can be, where the mullet can go, and the experience it can give all of us in our hearts. So Nora, Nora just give it a go. Maybe you and your husband will really love it. Or maybe at the end of it, your husband will say, I need to get a haircut. Either way, you win. Either way, right? That's true. Or he may say, you know what I need to go with this mullet is a pair of acid wash jeans. <laughs> you never know. And no shirt. No shirt. <laughs> but Reaver, what, what about you? What are you going to prescribe Nora here since I took Roadhouse? And I, I still can't believe I got to do Roadhouse because I thought you were going to do it. Uh, well, you know... It, I was just thinking about it and thinking about all the all the mullets, you know, and I was thinking about, I mean, you know, credit slash blame, I think, for the mullet really goes to David Bowie. I think he invented that mm -hmm. with Ziggy Stardust, right? Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, he's the guy who invented the mullet. And I, I think he made it look good. And then it's pretty much been downhill uh, ever since. Um, <laughs> where I, I was thinking, like, that's it, that's the best mullet in music. Worst mullet in music, probably Billy Ray Cyrus. Ooh, that's probably the worst yeah, one, right? Yeah. I would, that's, I'm going to say. But then, like, you know, Paul McCartney has had a mullet since, like, or sort of a mullet since, like, the 70s, since Wings. Yes. Pretty much. He kind of still has one. Yes. Um, worst mullet in acting, I'm going to say Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, God, and it never goes away. I don't understand it. Never goes I away. I don't understand N why that's no. what he chose, and it's never gone away. I don't understand it. It's his thing. It's his thing. He's kept it. But then, but, but I was thinking... Mullets in the movies, I do think that, like, Patrick Swayze would get sort of the Lifetime Achievement <laughs> mullet Oscar. But if there was just a, if there's just a one great example of mullet, to me, it's going to be Lethal Weapon from 1987. And it's Mel Gibson's mullet. And it's just glorious in that movie. Um, everyone knows Lethal Weapon, but I'm going to give you the, the breakdown. Uh, it's the story of Murtaugh and Riggs, the two homicide detectives in L.A. Murtaugh, played by Danny Glover, is the quiet one, the sensible one, the family man. And Riggs, played by Mel Gibson, is the wild one, the reckless one. He might even be a little crazy. <laughs> and they're thrown together on a case. 
And at first, it seems like they can't stand each other. Riggs is too wild, and Murtaugh is afraid that he's, the guy's going to get them both killed. But eventually, they'll find some common ground. They're going to work together to find a drug lord named Jack Joshua, played by Gary Busey. Here's a clip. Show me your hands. Let me see them. Oh, right now. I want to see them right now. Ah. Put your hands out there. Put your hands out there. Let me see your hands. See how easy that was? Boom. Still alive. Now we question him. You know why we question him? Because I got him in the lake. I didn't shoot him full of holes to try to jump off a building yeah, with that's him. That's no fair. The building guy lived. No, whatever. The point being, no killing. No killing. Right. Yeah. Right. Piece of cake. Now I'm happy. Just freedom is right, and I'll stand over here being happy. Uh, uh, he's got a gun! You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Well, well, don't do me no favors. Now, a lot of people might get confused here. Is this 48 Hours? Is this, um, it's so many, (laughs) it's so many movies from the 80s. Like, oh, you're a loose cannon. I play by the book. (laughs) We're going to end up having to team up and maybe we'll learn a little something from each other while solving the crime of the century. That's exactly right. I do think I do I do think this movie even though 48 hours really did this first and they also did kind of the black white buddy comedy yes. cop thing first uh, and that's really one of my favorite movies. I do think this was the movie that kind of really established that blueprint. It was such a massive hit that everyone has just been trying desperately to rip it off for the last, you know, 35, 40 years, whatever that is. <laughs> Um, and I gotta say, uh, it, it, Mel Gibson's mullet is, I think what's great about it is as opposed to Patrick Swayze's mullet, which is more of a true mullet, this is one of those volumized mullets. It's like, oh, if, yeah. right. It's like, it's like if Patrick Swayze met Tawny Katane and then their hair had sex and their hair had a baby, that would be Mel Gibson's <laughs> mullet. Right. It's just and at the time and here's the thing at the time, everyone loved that that look because the crazy hair said, like, he's a rebel. He's dangerous. He's sexy. He's damaged. And that's kind of what I'm saying about about that. Like, what does the mullet mean? Like, Nora, if you and your husband can sit down and maybe you could do a little therapy and kind of say, like, what does the mullet mean to you? Where did where did it first imprint on you? Right. What is what is it you're hoping to achieve out of out of the mullet? Um, You know, like they always say about about uh, like if you're if you're a car fan, you've got a favorite car, whatever your favorite car is. It's usually a car that you saw or that meant something to you in childhood. Mm. You know, like mine is a Dodge Dart. And I remember um, my my mom's boyfriend had a Dodge Dart, and I always thought that Dodge Dart was super cool, and I always wanted that car. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, where'd that mullet come from? Where did he get that idea? Anyway, I think I think Lethal Weapon could help. Wow. Rafer, I just love your philosophical deep dive into our psyches when it comes to the haircut well, here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of other people would just laugh at this mullet question, but no, you're taking it seriously. And, and I am too, Nora, just to... You are. You totally are. I'm not making fun of you or your husband. No, I'm not. no. Listen, this is... Uh, and I think when it comes down to it, we can all laugh. But hey, hair is hair and it's, it's super important. Yeah. It's super important. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So just to recap, I think we've got a great double bill here from Kristen Roadhouse and from me, Lethal Weapon. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you, everybody out there who continues to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. For example, DM Crom recently gave us five stars and wrote, I found this gem through Kristen's other podcast, By the Book. Rafer and Kristen have great chemistry and play off the other so well. Their life advice is just as wonderful as their movie advice. And it has been so much fun listening to each of the reviews of some of my favorite movies, though I can't believe Kristen is not a fan of The Big Chill. Thank you, DM Crom. Thank you for supporting me on that. I can't believe it either. <laughs> it's a good soundtrack. I said that, okay? I know. That's the only That's the only positive thing you could say about it. I know. That's, that's the one little bone you threw The Big Chill, Kristen. Yeah. I mean, it is a good soundtrack, and that's all I'm going to say about that terrible movie. <laughs> Well, thank you, DM Crom, for your review. We appreciate it. We always love hearing from people. Stay with us. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who's feeling shaken by some news about an ex. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Hey, everyone. We are back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, I'll let you read this one. Uh, This one comes from Molly. Molly says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, my ex-boyfriend from high school just got engaged, and it has brought on some very strange feelings for me. I haven't even spoken to him in years, but I can't stop thinking about him and how my life could have gone. I'm in a committed relationship with a man I can see spending my life with, and I wonder if I'm fixating on my ex getting engaged because my own relationship has not reached that point yet. Do you have any movie recommendations for someone who wants to focus on the present and not on what might have been? Mm, Molly, we've gotten a few versions of this question over the course of making movie therapy. And you're not alone. A lot of people, I think, feel this way when an ex, especially an ex that either is from a formative time or an ex that you spent uh, several years with, I think it's it's totally natural to say like, oh, what could have been when they move on and they're doing something else, whether it's getting married or having a baby or whatnot. I think it's perfectly natural. So please, first of all, don't beat yourself up about having those feelings. I think that right. you know, it totally makes sense that uh, you're going to stop and pause and think about that and think about everything that could have been. But I also urge you to think about why you broke up because 
as we've said many times on the show, it's called a breakup because it's broken. There's a reason why you didn't stay together. And maybe it's just the very obvious reason that he was your high school boyfriend. And most people don't stay with their high school boyfriends. True. And we grow up and we grow apart and our brains are not fully cooked until we're 25. And so it's really unusual for people to stay with that person they were with when they were that age. It's really unusual because our brains have not fully grown. We have so few experiences. We don't really know ourselves as much as we do when we're older. So there are reasons that you broke up with him, Molly. And I I, I don't want to say dwell on the bad stuff, but maybe just take a moment to think about why you needed to break up, why you needed to move on, and why you are who you are now. And, you know, you're not the same person now as you were when you were in high school. What do you think, Rafer? I think that's true. And I think um, I think that's very good advice. And I also want to say, I think this letter writer has kind of hit on something already, which is, um, you know, the idea that one reason that she's kind of um, fixated on this is because maybe she's not totally happy with where she is now. I don't want to say she's unhappy. It sounds like she's in a relationship with someone that she loves very much and is hoping that it goes to, you know, toward engagement and, and marriage. Um, but, you know, the, this idea that um, one reason you go back and dwell on the past is because you're not totally happy with the present, which I think seems kind of obvious, but I think is the kind of thing that often doesn't hit people when they're when they're dwelling on the past, um, myself included, you know, dwelling on the past is one of my um, my absolute favorite things to do. A complete waste of time, horrible thing, destructive. I do it all the time, um, and you know, it's because there's probably something in your present that you're not quite grappling with, or that you haven't quite fixed or made yourself happy with, and it probably wouldn't. This, you know, your ex getting married. If you were in a place in your life where you felt felt a little better about something, you'd you'd you would be thinking, oh, good for him. You'd be thinking totally different about it, most likely, right? Not necessarily. No? no I, fuck you, exes. <laughs> I never want to see you again or hear about you. Wow. Okay. But as you were, Rafer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, wait. I mean, you know, you may have dumped the ex. The, I don't know. The ex may have dumped you. I don't know. Anyway, I was trying to be generous. What can I say? You're a very kind heart, Rafer. Maybe you're kinder than I am. We know you are. You're you're definitely kinder than I am. But no, I think you're touching on something really important here that oftentimes, yeah, when we dwell on the past, it's partly because we can't necessarily appreciate the present or there's something about the present that we're just not feeling that great about. And Molly, if that thing that you're not feeling great about is like, why am I not married yet? I want to be married now. Maybe that's something to consider talking about with your current partner. Like, oh, is this something you want to do eventually? If if so, is there a timeline for this? Or is there something about your partner who you're with now where maybe in your heart you know, maybe this person isn't forever. Maybe this person's for now. And do you want to be with somebody who is forever? All of these things are worth exploring. Sure. I totally agree. Uh, well, Kristen, what, do you, what are you going to recommend for, uh, for our listener? All right. Well... Molly, there is a movie that came out three years ago on Netflix called Napoli Ever After, and that is what I'm recommending. In Napoli Ever After, Sanaa Lathan stars as Violet. She's gorgeous. She's smart. She's an advertising executive who's dating a handsome and successful doctor. Things seem to be headed toward marriage, but then he breaks up with her. She's heartbroken, and of course, things only get worse when he moves on with another woman. 
Violet's so devastated after she finds out that he's moved on that at first she tries to party away the pain, uh, have sex with other people, but eventually she has to really reckon with her feelings and she breaks down, she shaves off all of her hair, and that's when things get interesting. Here's a clip. Tonight is going to be the happiest moment of my life. What do you get, the perfect woman? Meet Lola. I was expecting a ring. You said I'm perfect. 24-7 perfection. You never let your hair down. You don't want you on the account. You can sponsor like six kids with the money you spend it for your hair. Excuse me? I apologize for my daughter. She knows better. Wow. Just be yourself. Who would that be? The anal compulsive Miss Perfect cut or the not fun, never spontaneous weave? Well, personally, I really like the weave. I've worked so hard to be perfect, and it still wasn't enough. The shaving off the hair scene, it, it, it's, a, it's a scene that you see in so many movies, right? Yes. Um, G.I. Jane, um, the, uh, oh, what's the one with Natalie Portman? I feel like I see it in just about any, any movie when the woman is um, kind of uh, on the verge of either an identity change or a breakdown. She's about to she's about to do something drastic that might be could be destructive, could be good, but it's really important. You never guy a a, a, a guy cutting his hair seen in a movie is always like, "Yeah, well, I had to shave my hair." <laughs> but a woman does it, it's a huge deal and it's got all kinds of emotional sort of electricity in it. So what can you tell us unless it's spoiling things? What what does this do? What does this act of shaving off her hair do? Well, what I think it's doing is it's physically showing a manifestation of everything that's happening inside Violet's heart and possibly what's happening inside your heart, Molly. And, you know, all these internal uh, contradictions and conflicts that you're feeling right now, all these things that you're kind of ashamed of, like, oh, I don't want to be upset that he's getting married, all of these things that you're feeling – these all play out in a physical way in this movie. So you can actually see whatever you're going through happening to this character in an actual visual sense. And spoiler, we even get to see the fantasy scenario in this movie of the ex asking Violet to get back together with him. Ah, uh, yes. But what makes the movie so smart is that it also shows not just the things that you know, Violet's dealing with in her heart visually. It doesn't just show that. It also shows that sometimes the things we've lost aren't always the things that will make us happiest. Sometimes we are certain that would make us happiest. But when it comes back again and we have the chance to have it, would it make us happy? So yeah, I, I, I hope you check out Napoli Ever After, Molly, and, you know, just throw yourself into all of those feelings, the ones you're ashamed of, the ones that make you feel... Uh, you know, full of doubt, the ones that make you question yourself, and then watch this movie and then go through that roller coaster with a violet as well and process whatever you need to process without shame. Sure. I think that's great advice. Uh, that's interesting. I remember seeing this title go by uh, at some point in the last couple of years because the title sounds familiar to me, but I have not seen it. Yeah. And I mean, th there was a lot of buzz around it. And Sanaa Lathan is, she's such a good actor. Yeah. She is so, so, so good. And so this isn't just about her hair. It's about a lot of things, but her hair is uh, one of the ways we actually see her character's arc play out. So definitely check it out. But Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Molly? Well, I'm going to go off the beaten track a little bit 
and I'm going to recommend an old Russian film from the early 70s called Solaris. Do you know this film, Kristen? Hold on. Is this the George Clooney? George Clooney remade it. They, uh, he, oh, yes. He, okay. he remade it in the I don't, kind of 2000 teens, something, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, I have not seen the George Clooney version. I've only seen the original uh, 1972 version by uh, Andrew Tarkovsky. He's one of the great Russian filmmakers. Some people would say he's one of the great filmmakers, period. Um, this is one of his better known films. And um, uh, the story is about a psychologist named Kelvin. Um, he's a widower. His late wife, Hari, took her own life. He's never really gotten over it. Um, one day, the Russian government invites him up to a space station circling a planet called Solaris, and something kind of funny is happening with the planet and the station. The station sent some signals down to the planet to see what's going on there. It's, the planet's kind of like a mysterious ocean planet. So the station sent some signals down there, and the planet responded with signals of its own. And what those signals do is they make your memories real. Not, not real to you, not like, oh, I'm having apparitions. They make them actually real. They make them manifest. And so the day that Kelvin arrives on the space station, he is greeted by his dead wife, Hari, a living, breathing, exact replica of Hari. And now Kelvin has a choice. Should he stay on this space station with Hari or go back to Earth knowing that if he leaves her, she will kill herself again? Oof. So Oof. Rafer. it's a very, 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 very dark, dark film. Um, I know. I know. I can't play a clip because it's in Russian. Um, I will just say people tend to call this the Russian 2001. Um, and there are definitely a lot of similarities, especially, I think, in the the look, the style of it, the, the furniture, things like that. But they're, te they're telling two very different stories. Um, it's not it's not as though uh, it's just a ripoff of, uh, of 2001. And also Tarkovsky is working with a much smaller budget. And so it, it all looks kind of homemade and cobbled together, which I kind of like. But it's a very different a different story. Wow, Rafer, this sounds uh, very, <laughs> very intense. Um, it is, and and maybe sad, but maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe Molly needs to feel the sads a little bit. Maybe she needs to feel all that intensity right now. I, sh I, I, it, it's true that the film is pretty intense and pretty dark. Um, but I think you know you can see why I'm recommending this. It's a, it's about a man who can't let go of the past, and he would prefer to live in a fantasy. And he, like you were saying, Kristen, he would prefer to try to live in this fantasy and kind of keep reliving it in order to live it differently, in order to live mm. it the way he thought he should have lived it. You know, what did I do What What did I do wrong that I could go back and redo right? Um, and, you know, I think it's a very easy trap to fall into. And I think we kind of all know where that leads. Um, and the better thing is, rather than dwell on it, you should move on, uh, you know, let go or be dragged, as, uh, as they say, um, as I think I've said on this podcast before. <laughs> but um, anyway, that's why I recommend the movie. Yeah, it is, it is a, a little bit of a heavy lift, but I think it's worth it. And I think not enough people have seen it. All right. So, Molly, once again, we're cheering for you. You're going to get through this. Yes. And you're hopefully going to watch one or both of our prescriptions from Rafer Solaris, the 1972 version, not, not the George Clooney one, right, Rafer? Right, that's right. And then for me, Napoli Ever After from 2018, exclusively on Netflix. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website 
reeferandkristen.com and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. Yes. And while you're there, go ahead and check out that prescription pad that has every movie and TV show we've ever recommended on the show. And also, be sure to join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen. There are always fantastic people there sharing their own recommendations, uh, disagreeing with me and Rafer, yes. telling us what they're currently watching and so on. So it's a great group. Check it out. When we're back, we will have our weekly What Should I Watch Next letter. We're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next letter. Kristen, take it away. All right. This week's What Should I Watch Next letter is from Stephanie, who says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, during the pandemic, watching films and TV shows set in glorious and far-off locales has been helpful to temper my wanderlust. Some of my favorites have included Call Me By Your Name, which takes place in Italy, Priceless, a 2006 French film, and Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy. Now, I need help finding my next watch. My key requirements are beautiful scenery and an upbeat story. Nothing too sad, please. I'm in Australia, so something outside my corner of the world would be excellent. What should I watch next? Well, Kristen, I know you love a travel film. Oh, absolutely. And Ray, for you and I have both been very fortunate that in our lives we've been able to travel to a lot of places. And Yes. And um, we obviously have not been able to do that in the last year or so or 15 months or whatever it's been now. That is exactly right. Yeah, we, I, I took my kids overseas for the first time to Italy uh, before the pandemic. Very glad I did. Um, and I think it was... It really, I think, kind of um, got them interested in doing more traveling, and now they're they're more interested in thinking about things like, oh, where should we go next, and what would be a great place to go, and have you seen this, and have you seen that, and could we see this? And I was really gra- I was really glad because I think you know they they hadn't been that far from home beforehand, um, and I just think travel is just, oh boy, it's just magical, and it's such a wonderful break from reality and. Um, it's just uh, I I, lo- I love it. It's 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 one of the things that my wife and I I think bond over the most is that um, we both love to travel. Yeah, likewise uh, with me and my husband, and uh, he and I fortunately are good travel partners. Not everybody's a good travel partner. Uh huh. That's true. That's true. Actually, travel. Also, I just want to add something that Mark Twain always said: it is a great inoculation against ignorance. Right. So we can <laughs> become true. much more enlightened from traveling too. We can learn a lot about ourselves, about other cultures, about you know people who uh, live differently than us, or maybe don't live that differently from us once we get to know them. So I, I'm all on board for anything that's uh, celebrating travel, Stephanie. Well, on that note, Kristen, what are you going to recommend to Stephanie? All right. I am deliberately going to recommend something that people don't necessarily think of as a travel movie. They may think of it as a kid's movie, an adventure movie, uh, an afternoon matinee sort of movie. But to me, it is also a travel movie. It is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989. What, Kristen? I love this movie so much. (laughs) You do? I love it. It is the best of the original Indiana Jones trilogy, hands down. It is so good. I freaking love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. If you disagree with me, Rafer, and your face says you're disagreeing with me, you're just wrong. This is such a good movie. Okay, wait. This is not... 
This is not Temple of Doom with the cult, with the satanic uh, No, cult. which is also this, very good. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, and it's not the... It's not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not, nope. No, this is, um, it's the one with Sean Connery. It's the one with the dad. Yes, that is right. <laughs> this is the weirdest choice I've ever heard you make. It is so good. Listen, listen. Now, if you're not familiar with the Indiana Jones franchise, Indiana Jones is an intrepid explorer slash anthropologist. Uh, he teaches in a university, and he believes in protecting these artifacts around the world. And that means, of course, he has to travel around the world. A lot of what he's doing, by the way, is protecting these artifacts from Nazis. That's right. So there's a clear good guy versus bad guy. There's a clear uh, knowledge versus ignorance storyline in all of these. But of course, there's also travel to outstanding places. And he so appreciates everywhere he goes. And there's beautiful cinematography showing these places. But back to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So what happens in this movie is that Indiana Jones finds out that his father, who is a medievalist played by Sean Connery, as you mentioned, Rafer, he has vanished while searching for the Holy Grail. Oh, that's and right. <laughs> Indiana Jones must follow clues in his father's notebook to find out what's happened to him. And the first clue takes him to Venice, where he enlists the help of a beautiful academic. But they're not the only ones on the trail. And of course, Venice is not the only place they're going to be. Here's a clip. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. But for some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. Follow me! I know the way! Ah! A race across three continents. And in this sort of race, there's no silver medal for finishing second. Hang on, Dad! We're going in! Into the homeland of the enemy. Nazis. I hate these guys. Ah! Our situation has not improved. In his search for the Holy Grail. Okay, you're almost convincing me that this counts as a travel movie. <laughs> I guess it's sort of Da Vinci Jones, Da Vinci Code before Da Vinci Code, basically. Yes, and better than da, da Vinci Code. Please don't. Uh, right. Please don't see the Da Vinci Code. It's terrible. Don't see that movie. But yes, the, they go all over the world following clues, and the places they go are not. I'm just going to say it as Eurocentric as a lot of Hollywood movies. Yes, it starts in Venice. Yeah. But then they make sure that they're not just sticking to Europe's uh, Western Europe's greatest hits, like a lot of Hollywood likes to do. So uh, I have to say, specifically in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, my favorite stop in the movie is Petra Jordan, ah. which is, oh my gosh, seeing this movie as a kid and seeing Petra Jordan, my imagination just lit up and I thought, I need to go there someday. This is such an outstanding, beautiful place, uh, ancient history, a great civilization, something that I've never seen anything like before. So uh, I know it's an adventure movie and I know it may seem silly, but it really does also showcase some of the beauty of the world that's not shown in other Hollywood movies. And Stephanie, I hope you check it out and I hope you enjoy it. Did you go to Petra Jordan? I still haven't made it there. Oh my gosh. Oh. Have you been, Rafer? 
No. Oh, my gosh. I still want to go someday. I, I really want to when the world opens up. Uh, the closest I've ever made it to Jordan, which still is nowhere near it, is Turkey. That's the closest I've made it so oh, far. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. But, yep. but someday. Someday I'm going to make it there. Come on. That's going to be your first post-pandemic trip, Jordan. <laughs> but, Rafer, what about you? What are you going to recommend to Stephanie here who has this wanderlust? Well... I went a little obvious. I don't know. There's a, a good chance that Stephanie has probably seen this. I went with Before Sunrise, the Richard Linklater film from 1995. Uh-huh. It's just one of my favorites, and I, I just love that movie. And it's just so much about travel. Um, if anyone out there doesn't know this movie, uh, it's the story of two young hipsters. Uh, one's an American, Jesse, played by Ethan Hawke. The other one is French, Celine, played by Julie Delpy. Uh, Jesse's on a train from Budapest to Paris. He's kicking back, reading the autobiography of Klaus Kinski, as you do. <laughs> when he spots uh, Celine across the car, they strike up a conversation, and there's a little spark there between them. But, you know, he's going back to America. She's going back to college in France. What are they going to do? Well, Jesse convinces her to get off the train with him in Vienna and just spend an evening with him walking around town. You know, he's, he's a budding novelist, so he's kind of got away with words. And he charms her right off the train, and she figures, what the heck, let's walk around, hang out, see the city, see the sights, maybe get to know each other a little bit, and see what happens. And here's a clip. It's Q&A time. We've known each other a little while now. We're stuck together, so we're going to ask each other a few uh, direct questions. All right? So we ask each other questions. Yeah, and you have to answer 100% honestly. Of course. Okay. All right, first question. You. Describe for me, yes, I'm going to ask you. Describe for me your first sexual feelings towards a person. <laughs> my first sexual feelings, oh my God. Um, I know, I know. Uh, Jean-Marc Fleury. <laughs> Jean-Marc Fleury? <laughs> I remember we had this summer camp together, and he was a swimmer. Yeah. Yeah, he had bleached out chlorine hair and green eyes. And to improve his times, mm-hmm. he shaved the air off his legs and arms. It's disgusting. Oh, no. He was like this gorgeous dolphin. And my friend Emma had a big, big crush on him. So one day I was cutting, you know, cross field back to my room, and he came walking up beside me. You know, and I told him, you know, you should date Emma because she has a big crush on you. And he turned to me and said, well, that's too bad, because I have a big question here. Rafer, I think I told you how resistant I was to ever seeing this movie, and I am proud to say I still have not seen it. And the reason why was I felt it was too deliberate in its target marketing of me as a demographic. This, along with Reality Bites and OK Cola, I said, no, I am not falling for your nonsense. I can see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> I am not just a point on a graph. I am a human being and not just your target demographic. But it really was, Rafer, deliberately trying to target people like me and you at the time when it came out. Well, I just I want to say to you that I had the exact same reaction but, you know, uh, I, I went to see it, and I, 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 too, wanted to be a writer. I had just gotten back from traveling around the world. I had just been to Budapest, and I owned the autobiography of Klaus Kinski. Oh, and when I saw him reading that book on the train, I just thought, oh, my God, I'm a demographic. I thought the exact same thing you did. <laughs> I, I just thought, I'm on, I'm on someone's marketing list. I'm so unoriginal. I'm not even unoriginal. I'm like a, I'm like a generational statistic. I was so... I was 
was so depressed by that when I saw it. Um, but Kristen, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. It's so lovely. It's just such a beautiful film. And Richard Linklater, I mean, he is, he is the chronicler of Generation X. He is the Gen X director. I mean, he's so good at it. And I think He's not calculating. He's not, you know, it's not like singles. It's not like friends. He's not just trying to pin you. He, you know, he understands this stuff and he has a real love for these two characters. And it's just so good at capturing what it's like to just be young and free and out in the world with all your options open. And you want to get off the train at Vienna? Just get off the train. Put your backpack in a locker and go see what's happening. And, you know, look at some castles and walk through the plazas and meet some people and go look at a nice restaurant that you can't afford and then find a cool, cheap cafe instead. And, uh, you know, you're with someone you're kind of into it's just so much fun. It's such a beautiful movie. And um, I, 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 like you, I can never quite forgiving, uh, forgive it for showing me like how transparent I am and, and, <laughs> and how unoriginal all my thoughts are. But I still, I still love it. I love the sequels, even though those aren't really about travel. They're just more about the relationship. But man, if you want that wanderlust feeling, I think it's tough to beat before sunrise. Mm. Well, Stephanie, we hope that you do get to travel again soon. And in the meantime, take one of these and call us in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Our recommendations are from me before sunrise and from Kristen, rather strangely, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Not strange at all. Excellent film. And it will make you love Petra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Rafer, I guess that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Well, we covered a lot of territory. We've covered, we've covered uh, mullets and uh, the Middle East <laughs> and, boy, all kinds of stuff. Uh, this has been a good episode, Kristen. Yes, it, it's been so fun. Reminder, everyone out there, you can always visit us at our website, RaferAndKristen.com, or follow us on Twitter at RaferGuzman and at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.